Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. Did you know busy is the new stupid? There is a standard that we constantly need to be doing something or we need to be on our way to somewhere else. We feel important if we are busy. At times we feel that we are judged based on how busy we are and not so much on how productive or effective we are. After all, we achieve one task, tick, done. Then we seek the next big endeavor. What is my next priority? Well, if you resonate with being busy for the sake of being busy, then this is a sure pathway to burnout. Understanding the cause and symptoms of burnout is the first step towards getting yourself out of the workplace funk. And before you think to yourself, well, that would never happen to me, think again, my friend. So this week, our special guest is Jocelyn Harwood. Jocelyn is a woman on a mission, determined to create her dreams without sacrificing her health or well-being. As a woman in a male-dominant industry, she had to navigate the treacherous waters of hustle culture and the toll it can take on one's mental health and happiness. And she has come out of the other side stronger and wiser. She's learned that success isn't just about the bottom line. It's about creating a life and business that aligns with your values and priorities. Through her company, Financially Fearless Women, she's helping other women claim their power through their relationship with money by teaching them how to build businesses that prioritize well-being and impact. Jocelyn is living proof that you can do anything you want, even and maybe especially when the cards are stacked against you. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, good morning or good afternoon. It depends on which side of the world you are at today. I have another special guest for you. We have the beautiful Jocelyn Harwood. Thank you for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the way that we start the show, we always love to ask our guests to share the story. So Jocelyn, tell us, what's your story? What inspired you to do what you do today? Okay. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I'm third generation entrepreneur. I grew up doing business. Like since the age of 14, I had some type of, you know, like side hustle or career aspiration going on. And I had a lot of success doing it. I've had I've had a lot of success. And uh, a year ago, this month, actually a year ago this month, I was operating a company that was doing a hundred million in revenue, and I had um, several hundred employees. 
and life was going very fast. There was a lot happening. I spoke in directives from sun up to sundown, and I loved what I did. I I was in um, global supply chain. I was in e-commerce. I operated a portfolio of online brands. I loved what I did, and I loved my life. However, I was doing it via self-abandonment. And a year ago, I could not, my body could not hold up anymore to the strain I was putting it under, which got me to this position now, which is realizing that all of that background I had in finance and money and entrepreneurship, while it was great, there was a part of the message that was missing, missing, and especially for women, that was missing about the way to do those things that we love, operate the businesses and, and, you know, have that lifestyle that we enjoy, but without sacrificing our mental health and our physical health. And that is why I'm actually on your podcast today is because that message right there is so important. I wish someone had sat me down when I was operating at, you know, peak, uh, peak insomnia levels (laughs) that I wish someone had sat me down and said, Hey, look, we got to talk about the razor's edge that you are running down right now. Um, Cause I could have used a bit of a, of a wake up call to what was going on with my own health. Yeah. Why do we do that? I can relate to it. That's that's why I was saying it uh, before you came on the show is something that I also, I had a meltdown in 2012 um, and I was in New York and I had, I was doing exactly what you were saying. Go, 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 go. And I had a panic attack, which I actually thought was a heart attack. So I thought I was dying. Uh, And then, of course, an ambulance came, took me away. And it was really, really scary. But when I came back to Melbourne after that, a good 12 months, I was literally housebound with panic attacks all the time. So that to me was, I call it the dark night of the soul. And it was burnout big time. Is that what happened to you? Yeah, exactly. You said panic attack. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Now we're talking about it. Aren't we? Yes. Panic attacks. I, um, my business had taken a beating a lot during the pandemic. Um, I was in supply chain, so I was doing a lot of international trade and that took a massive hit. And there were several technology and, um, marketing platform changes that happened in the U S about, uh, about 18 months after the pandemic had started, which my, made my cost of goods go up significantly with the supply chain disruption. And then my acquisition costs went up significantly. And like, we're talking at one point I could get a container of product for $3,200 and it was, had gone up to $30,000. So it was this, like the, when I say our costs went up, I don't mean like, yeah, we had a rise of like 5%. No, 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 no. Like, we were being gouged. And my response to that as the owner was just work harder, right? And do more, sleep less, eat less. And then a year ago, it it could not sustain. This business was not going to make it. I um, separated from my husband of 14 years and a lot of that was related to just the way we had just hustled through life and really blocked a lot of the trauma 
and things that were going on that just pushed through mentality had applied to our relationship. And I had my, my day as well that I thought I was dying. I remember the first time I had a panic attack. It's such a weird experience, isn't it? The, the tingling in your fingers and the losing, like, I remember just my arms being like, what's going on? I can't feel my arms. And then feeling myself start to hover like a couple of inches above my body and being like, what is, what is happening? And having that happen, that happened five, for five, no, 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 seven days, every 12 hours, I was having a panic attack. And finally it was a Sunday morning and um, God bless my ex-husband. I texted him and I said, Hey, I, I think I need to get help. And I have the kid, I have two kids and I had the kids with me. And I was like, this isn't good. Like, this isn't safe. And I was like, I think I need to get help. And he was like, I, I think that's a really good idea. I, you, I think you should. And I, I kind of needed that permission from my person, even though we were separated. I kind of needed someone to be like, yeah, like, I think you, sh- if you're asking about getting help, I think you should. And sure enough, I did. I reached out to a friend of mine who was a nurse and was like, uh, this is what's going on. This is happening. And I don't, I don't know what to do. And she got me in touch with people that helped me get on a path to really reclaiming that the mental health that was showing up in the physical health. Mm. If you don't mind me asking, because I know for me, and I know there's plenty of people out there. I know for me, it was so foreign that I was doing all this Google search. So for our viewers and listeners, never Google search. <laughs> When you're no, everything ends in death. Yeah, don't. No, I know it's like the the worst <laughs> things that that. Um, but um, I know I was looking for a way to heal myself, and what was the best way? So, how did you go about it? What was your uh, path to your healing journey? Yeah. So, um, my friend got me in touch with a psychiatrist, actually, that she had used, and she told me basically she. She met me that same day and was like, look, Joss, you haven't slept like that, that just that days and days and days of not sleeping like that right there is enough to make a person just go absolutely crazy. She's like, so I feel like the first thing we need to do is we need to get you a way to just sleep. And so she got me in with a psychiatrist that she had actually used for one of her teenage daughters. And she's very well versed in the industry. And um, I met with. I actually met that the next day I met with two different psychiatrists. I met with a guy who ran through his checklist with me. And at the end of this 45 minute consult gave me his suspicion of a diagnosis that was pretty serious. And I remember sitting there looking at this guy being like, after 45 minutes, you're going to throw around something so serious. And I just, I like, that felt so yucky inside of me. And so then I went and met with the other psychiatrist who was my, my friend's doctor. And she was great. She sat me down and she, she just said, okay, tell me. And I started to like, and this happened and that happened and that happened. And I started just going through it. And I paused at one moment and looked at her and she was such a sweet lady. I looked at her and I said, oh, it wasn't if I ended up here, it was when, huh? And she was like, yeah, yes, that's, it sounds like it. Yeah. And she got me some medication so that I could sleep. Girl, 
girl, that night I slept 13 hours and I woke up and it was like, it was like I'd been living in a dream and had just woken up from the dream. And that right there, getting sleep with, you know, medication assisted sleep was just like, oh my God, like the colors were brighter. (laughs) And from there I got into, I got in with, um, I worked with my psychiatrist who also had me get in with a therapist. I actually ended up going with a psychologist and I had like a team basically of mental health professionals that helped me really get into myself. I started journaling. I'm a huge advocate of journaling and brain dumping so it doesn't live inside of me. And I started this path of exercise and diet and things that my body naturally wanted. They were all things my body naturally wanted. It quit craving all of the crutches I'd been using, alcohol, um, self-harming. I'd been a self-harmer since a chi- as a child, um, nail biting, uh, sugar, and my body just quit craving those things. It It was like, okay, we're done. It's time to heal. And so then I started journaling and working with my therapist and moving myself through this transition of my divorce and and what do we do with the companies because we owned between the two of us we we're both entrepreneurs we owned several companies and how do we manage the estate you know and a year later man it was painful i wouldn't wish it on anybody but man i wish that everybody could experience this side of it yeah this peace and and clarity of self. Yeah. Isn't that, I love the way that you've just described that because a lot of the times we, we fear of what is on the other side, the unknown, the uncertainty, and therefore we resist doing the things that we know is right for us. Mm. We know that's, that's our calling, whether it's, uh, you know, going a completely opposite direction to where you're at. And it can be quite scary, really scary. Mm. Very scary. Yes. So, Jocelyn, what was your biggest lesson throughout that journey? Mm. That self-abandonment is not love. I am the fuel for my companies. I am me, the, the, the being. And sacrificing that being was actually not good for business. It was like it was like holding sand in my hand and the tighter I squoze, the faster it came out. And a lot of that really is a practice in release, I think. And having that, working on that relationship with myself and that secure attachment to me actually makes me more powerful in my businesses. So when you say release, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Well, so a big thing is control, right? There's this element of having a calendar that is full, a phone that is always ringing, um, an inbox that always needs answering, employees that always need managed, that there's a control to it. It kept my anxiety and the noise in my head busy, so busy that I never had to check into how I was feeling. And when I say release, it's really releasing the need to have a full calendar, 
to be connected all the time and letting go to just letting myself be quiet inside sometimes, hanging out with me in the car silently, not needing to have the news on or a podcast on or ingestion all the time of data. Mm, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting, like I wonder whether, because I was like that, and I think that for me, I wonder whether I was keeping myself really busy, whether it's because it made me feel validated or whether I was avoiding dealing with what I needed to look into or lean into. Yeah. Yeah. We, and isn't it hard? That? It's hard to know if it's one way or the other or if it's both. Mm. I really had to work on duality. Both. This was the best thing that could have happened to me. And it was the most painful thing that had happened to me. And being okay holding both of those things as truth. And that's kind of it too. I think the duality of uh, was I doing it to avoid? Might that also be true along with was I doing it to find worth, to have value and to fill that that self-worth void? And it's like, uh, I think it was both. I think probably both payoffs were in there. Yeah. Yeah. When I was asking what was your biggest lesson for me, it was about boundaries. That was the thing that stood out the most for me is I was a people pleaser. Mm. I say was, I'm still recovering. I'm not 100% there. And I used to, I'm the yes woman. So anytime my team or anyone come up to me and say, Catherine, can we do this? I'm like, yes, we can. Because I'm like, say yes, because I also come a very similar like uh, background to corporate background. I was the only woman in the, you know, in the boys club against, against, amongst and against the boys club. Um, (laughs) And so, and so for me, it was always um, saying yes, because I needed to prove to myself that I could do anything that I put my mind to. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but the whole burnout or the dark night of the soul was realizing that I was always saying yes to everybody else, but no to me. Yes. Yeah. Did you find that too? Oh, oh man, boundaries. That's such a big one, isn't it? I did this really deep meditation on boundaries because that was something that my therapist had brought up to me. And I found that my boundary journey was actually boundaries with myself. And it was a lot of saying yes to more things that I'd been saying no to and saying no to things that I had said yes to. And it was boundaries with me more than it was with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So boundaries is making, I call them making little promises to yourself. Yeah, we had we had a, another lady speak about boundaries and we're talking about those little promises that we make to ourselves but then keep. Yeah. yeah that's really important. I'd like to to switch into, um, were you going to say something then? I was just I was just going to say isn't it funny to how I don't know if you have this but I have this that when I haven't kept my promises to myself I also then will double down and beat myself up for not keeping that promise to myself so it becomes this sort of like this uh cycle I get stuck in where like I broke the promise but then I make myself feel bad that I didn't keep the promise to myself which then makes it harder to want to keep the promise to myself which makes me feel worse and I'll get stuck just like not forgiving myself that okay so I didn't do the thing today that I told myself I was gonna do okay yeah 
I can relate to that. I call it the cha-cha and I forgive myself instead of because I used to I used to get be so hard on myself and I now it's like, okay, when I set an intention, I and I don't achieve what I I planned for myself on a particular day, I always say it's okay to take a step forward and two steps back. And I'll try it again tomorrow and then I'll take two steps forward and one step back. I like that, the cha-cha. I like that. It's okay because it's normal, especially if you've been doing, because we're we're conditioned and especially if we've been doing something for such a long time and then you want to change or change the habit or break the habit, it's it's about consistency. It's about doing it all the time. It's not about doing it once and it's done. It's about the consistency of doing it until it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. I'd love to, uh, before we came on the show, I was talking about, I love financially fearless woman. <laughs> so talk me through that title. That really stood okay. out for me on your website. Yeah. It's catchy, isn't it? Very. <laughs> I, um, so I, I've been working for a little while with a, um, a presenting coach. She, she coaches a lot of the TEDx people in the U S and um, she was helping me work on this next vision because I was used to a background of corporate or entrepreneur and like I was always managing a team and all of my all of my experience and personal development I always poured into my team and I was I didn't really know how now to make it a broader audience of the general population of women who are looking to examine their relationship with money. And we kind of were talking about words that we felt like described me. So my nickname is Bossy Jossy, Jocelyn, Jossy, Bossy, you know how my childhood went. And um, it was this fearless and finances and it's for women. And really when we landed on this financially fearless women, it was like, ooh, yeah, that feels good. And that's really what it is. It's teaching women how to be financially fearless. It's asking them, what is your relationship with money like? And how would you like to change that? And most importantly, how is that a reflection of the relationship that you have with yourself? A lot of people, they'll do personal training, right? They'll hire a personal trainer and they'll start diving into their relationship with themselves via their fitness and their nutrition. Right. And all I'm saying is we're going to use the medium of finances and the relationship you have there and start putting you in the gym, basically. So what's your findings? Because I know I've we've spoken to lots of different women on, on the show over the last seven years. And there's this thing about women that when it comes to finance, when it comes to money, there's so much resistance towards that. Yeah. What is that? It's funny actually that you bring that up. I was um I have a talk that I give. Um I'm doing a keynote tomorrow and the title of it is called Not Your Daddy's Company. And it talks about this. It talks about this this conditioning that girls receive, not so much women, that girls receive about money. It's and it's actually not the conditioning we receive, it's the lack of conditioning that we receive. Our our dads don't tend to talk to us, hence the daddy title. They don't tend to talk to us about tax strategy, career choice, 
what do you want to be when you grow up, right? It's more based around the relationships of it, who we want to be with. Do we want to have children? All these things that are external to us and aren't really career or money focused. And there's a void that has happened there, I think, at a at a very large scale where women, girls, aren't talked to about money. They're not empowered in money. And a lot of them fall back on this idea that money is a man's job and that they'll be involved in the finances such that their spouse wants to sit them down and show them how to run a bank account, basically. And that's what we talk about. Yeah, that makes sense. When you think about it, I mean, not so much these days, because there's a lot more women entrepreneurs, but back in the day, that was true. It was the the man that would go out, do the work, uh, bring the money, take care of the money. Uh, So it does make sense. But I guess, so how do we change that conditioning so that women uh, are fearless when it comes (laughs) to money? (laughs) So the first thing I'll say is, Don't hate on the patriarchy. Like being having the messaging of that's anti men or anti masculine or any of these types of things, that's not helpful. It's it's counterproductive and like, come on, we're talking about half the globe, really. Like for me, the way that we change this is by being this. The way I teach my daughters how to be their own financially fearless woman is to be a financially fearless woman and to model it to them and to give them opportunity to have it be exposed to them. My, my daughter, so she's, uh, she's 10 and um, I have packed her around to all the business meetings and she sat in conference rooms. She went to China with me and got to do some factory tours that was crazy pre-COVID. And she's really been exposed to a lot of money and money talk. And now that I'm doing the single mom life, even more so, she's seeing me sit down and go through line item by line item, all of the things that are going on with us. Because before it was, it was, I was operating at such a high speed that I had outsourced a lot of things. You know, I had a maid and a nanny and a financial team and all of these things. So she's really getting a more day-to-day exposure to it now than she ever had before. Amazing. And so so you work, I guess your uh, target market is women or entrepreneurs or women in business. Um, So how do you work through them when you find out, okay, so they've got obviously some obstacles around money or their relationship with money. Um, What's the next step? (laughs) Well, The first thing is always dialing down on what do they actually want to do? Because women entrepreneurs, we never have just one project that we're working on. Never. Like I haven't had a single client who's like, this is my one thing and this is what I'm working on. She always comes to me and is like, okay, I have this, but I'm also doing part of that. And I'm also over here in this. And it's like, whoa, 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 hang on. That's what you just described to me is not humanly possible. To accomplish. So let's dial down into which of these do you actually want to do? Which of them are going to fill your cup, not deplete it? Because some, a lot of times, what they find as they go through that, 
And it's it's a work on value systems and belief systems really is what it comes down to and and boundaries. And what they find is that several of the things that they had put on their plate, they did they did out of a fear-based decision-making process. I will never get this opportunity again. Um, this will let the people down that I need for these other projects. And so if I don't say yes to this thing, that they won't say yes to these other things. And it really dials down into a scarcity mindset, honestly. Okay. So then you've got to, you've got the scarcity mindset. How do you then help them shift the scarcity mindset? So I do a value, I do a value systems assessment. We basically build them a value system module. And it's a series of questions. It's actually something that I had to do with my own therapist when we were trying to rebuild my identity of who I was. And some people kind of touch into this when they do personality tests and things like that, but it's still not quite individualized enough. And it's not usually used with the lens of money and time as a commodity. And so we have to reframe a lot of it. And then we get into, okay, do you, um, for example, one of the first questions is, uh, in this type of a situation in business, do you go to your team first or do you go to your um, partners, business partners first? And that says a lot about a person because if I go to my business partners or the board or the investors first about something that's going on, or I go to my team first, that's going to tell me really where my value, what whose input I value and or whose approval and enrollment in solving this problem I value. And from there, that leads into a lot of things. A lot of my people pleasers will be the ones that go to the board first. They're going to go to the people who they need, they feel like they need first, as opposed to the team. And my people who are um who are uh uh are the more mm, servant leader type who have a really strong sense of self, they go to their team first. And that right there, neither neither is better than the other. There's no right answer or wrong answer in any of this. There's only the question of, does that work for you? Does that value right there work for you? Or does it feel like maybe this is not true or that it's getting in the way of you having peace inside of your mind? And then from there, we can build into a lot more of the value system pieces. And usually things will start to self-eliminate as we go through this process. So it's not, so the the values process, um, it's not just, it's not like holistic. It's more around work and finance when you do. Mm -hmm. So what's important to you when it comes to money or what's important to you when it comes to making decisions at work. So it's, it's really the, you look, you work with those two pillars. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you hire a personal trainer and what's their first question? What are your goals? Right. Do what do you want to do with this? What type of a lifestyle are you looking for with this? It's like uh, almost the exact same question, but we're talking about your money lifestyle, your income and household lifestyle. I think something that women really need to hear more often is that if you run a household, you run a business, like a, a, a house, a home, it has Oh, good. It has clients, 100%. It has marketing. 
It has supply and demand. It, it has all of the same everything, overhead. It's got all the same hallmarks of a business. It's just never talked about like it's a business. So, so true. I've never looked at it that way. It makes sense. <laughs> it really does. So then, so for our viewers and our listeners, so if so they go through the value system and basically just with that exercise will help them make the changes. So for example, you're getting them to really tap into how does that make them feel? Yep. And then they set goals for themselves to yep. maneuver in different directions to then see the different results. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's this idea that to be in business or to be good at business, we should separate our emotion, which I think is completely backwards and inside out. That's a horrible way to do it. But I mean, based on results, how many high performers have burnout stories like ours, right? And I think we actually need to start with what does your life feel like? What does your business feel like? What does being an entrepreneur feel like? And then we get everything. We basically, you know, get your house in order around what you want your house to feel like, what you want your business to feel like. Mm, it's true. I totally agree with that because it is, it's it's one of those things that it's completely, it changes the dynamics. When you think about how do I feel about my business, very different to how do I think about my business. Yes. Yeah. And yes. do you find, because when you were talking about entrepreneurs, it's true, they always have many projects uh, to work on, including myself, right? And I always say that we can only do one thing at a time because mm -hmm. uh, what we're actually doing is we're creating, um, we're spreading the energy that we, we are putting into a project into so many different directions. We're not really giving the benefit of the doubt if we work with one only. So we are getting better and mm -hmm. saying this is what we're going to do. Like over the years, if I look at been in business since 2009, we've really... Um, instead of doing everything, we really, yep. really, really finalized uh, what we do, which is literally, we, we just, our sweet spot is leadership and coaching. Yep. But it's taken us years to get to that. Yeah. Which yeah. is so funny. Isn't it funny to, to look at it that way? But then also like, look at any of the businesses that you were running before that. And there's a version of that story in there too, of like, yeah, it took us years to figure out what this startup, like, what it was actually doing, what it was actually good at. Yeah. So now, Jocelyn, do you do just one business or you still have many business? So I have a couple. Yeah. So I do. Um, I have Financially Fearless Women, which is all based on women and their relationship with money in whatever form that looks like. It tends to be entrepreneurs. That's, you know, my background. Um, and then I also do... Um, a company called Based on Results Consulting. And that's when I go into small businesses themselves and help the small business. Uh, a lot of what I'll find is a lot of small businesses, they have certain glass ceilings that are pretty predictable. You know, they hit uh, right before they hit 1 million in revenue, XYZ things tend to break. And then before they hit five and then before they hit, you know, 15. And, and I only know that because I've grown companies up into those, um, let's see, the, the first one was 80 million and then the second one was 100 million. And so I only know that because I have done it with startups several times before that it's like, okay, so you don't know this, but I know this, that coming up for you, you're going to have this issue and that issue. And actually we need to focus on these things and these things because it won't matter. They kind of, it's like 
the business comes, it breaks this glass ceiling, right? But then it sort of purposes because it's like, oh, we did it. Oh, wait, we don't have the systems or maybe the talent or whatever in place, the structure that is load bearing for that number. And then they come down and then they, and I'm sure, I'm sure you see this as well. And so that's the other, that, that right there is the other piece is this small business part of it. And then, you know, I do, I do speaking appearances and that's some income and that's fun too. Those are, those are just fun. (laughs) But I think from a business perspective, these things happen like um, they don't happen overnight, but when they do happen, they happen quickly. And I think it's like, and you're right. A lot of the times it's, it's, it's more of a surprise. It's been happening, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, we don't have the, the talent to support it. We don't have the systems to support it. And then you're running around trying to fix up the system. You're trying, and it's, yeah. So I do see that. And I do, I see that a lot actually. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It's, it's, um, it's so strange, honestly, um, real talk here to be on this part of, um, the startup experience because I used to have to earn, I used to have to sweat equity my way into companies, right? I had to earn it with hustle and um, hours and, and, you know, grit, basically. I don't really have to do that anymore. Now I have the experience that I can come in. I spend four hours a month with a team and they're busy for 30 days, just executing on the things that I pointed out to them. And it's, it's been honestly such a strange experience for me to be on this side of that like um executive style management you know <laughs> but that's because you've done all the hard work prior yeah. to where you are today yeah 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 so it's it's, just, it's the experience it really is it is 100%, 100%. Is there anything that you would say um what would be a thing that you would say to help women uh, empower women financially. What would be that big thing? Like, we, you know, we were talking about boundaries. What would be that one thing that you would say that uh, this would be the thing to empower women financially? <laughs> well, it's actually one of the um, one of the golden nuggets that we we <gasps> talked about before. Actually, um, it's called I call it "You've Got Mail," and the first step, regardless of if she's a business owner or she's just looking to be more well-versed in her finances, is you need to open your mail. Open your mail. You have to sit down and you have to open your mail. There's something, and it. I love I love whenever we. I get to talk about this because I always get feedback from women who are like, that. this was so emotionally confrontational. And I'm like, I know. That's the point, is I'm wanting you to emotionally confront the relationship that you have with money via bills, bad news, bank statements in your that you have to open and look at. So the first step there is open the mail. Just I want you to just get used to opening it. Once they're comfortable with this process of just open your mail, like you don't you don't have to sit and read it, you don't have to digest it yet, you don't have to I just want you to like look the monster in the eye for a minute, okay? The next step there then is I want you to sort your mail. Put it into action and non-action piles. Mail comes in, well, three forms really, trash and just information. Like a bank statement, that's just information. You don't need to do anything about a bank statement. And actionable items. And I want you to make an action pile and a file pile. Then that's the second step to you've got mail. And then the third one is action. You have to block out time in your calendar 
to sit down. Doesn't matter if it's a Saturday morning or a Monday morning, you have to block out time and action those items. At first, it very much feels like going to the gym. It very much does. You're kind of white knuckling it. You're dreading it. You're like, you're a bartering with yourself about it, right? And it's just practice. That's all it is. And they learn so when people, when people do this one, they learn so much about the way they feel about their money and their finances just by opening their mail. So what do you do? Uh, we will we will unpack the, the golden nuggets in a minute. So what do you do? Because I know that sometimes I'll get bills and I go, oh, and I know <laughs> that's the wrong attitude to have because I should be going, oh, I love my money because <laughs> if I didn't have this money, this money wouldn't be able to pay my bills, you know, and, and be really respectful. And But, but I, I know deep down inside, I know my, yeah. I'm Ugh, another bill. <laughs> <laughs> I or mean, another increase, you know, just just like another, you know, we're we're getting all the interest increase. It's like, oh, another one. It's <laughs> like, I'm 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 so happy to be in this position. I'm glad I'm yeah. in this position. When really, yeah. I'm like, seriously, I'm come on. How many times are you going to put the interest rates up? <laughs> well, I, I I usually um compare that to like eating your veggies, like. I know I should. And there's some vegetables that I'm like, actually, I kind of like that one. Right. But on the whole, I don't, I don't like eating my vegetables. And on the whole, I don't like getting my butt to the gym. Like, would I so much rather stay in bed on cold winter mornings that like I'm having here in the, in the mountains? Yeah. And there's just nothing to it. There just isn't. It's like, okay. And actually, um, one of my favorites is Mel Robbins. She does the five, four, three, two, one countdown in the mornings. And that's just like, that's it. Sometimes it's just like you do it because it's good for you, not because you love it. And no amount of mindset mentoring is going to make you love eating your veggies or opening your mail. <laughs> Yeah, it's true because I'm like, oh, you know, Catherine, you should be grateful that you're in this position where you're actually paying off a property rather than not being in that position, you know. So I try to talk, sweet talk the whole uh, when I'm really experiencing (laughs) deep down inside. Well, I and I believe in a reward system, right? So sometimes um, like tax season, oh, tax season, when you're an entrepreneur, tax season's the worst. It's the worst. There's just no getting around it. And I've hired the really expensive teams to manage all the things for you and stuff. It still sucks. And there has to be, for me, some type of a reward system to it, right? If I really hate this thing I'm going to do, okay, we get to have a reward this time. And sometimes it's something really simple, like after this, you get to, um, for me, it's like after this, you get to um, watch a show. Like I love The Great British Bake Off. I love that show. And sometimes like, okay, after I do this thing that I hate for several hours, then I'm going to watch some great British Bake Off and like give myself that break and that permission to have that break, you know? And so I honestly, sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's okay to do a reward system with it. You don't have to just always like, you know, nobody cares, work harder, mental toughness through it. Like, I'm human. I love the reward system. So now that you've shared one of your golden nuggets, which was you've got mail, let's, and that's the way that we always wrap up the show is to ask our guests to share three shiny golden nuggets with our tribe. So what would be the other two shiny golden nuggets that you would like to share with us today? 
Okay. So a, a favorite of mine is an exercise that I call outcome setting. So what you do is you take a you take a, a lined sheet of paper that is blank and you draw two lines down on it. So you separate this paper into three columns. And in the first column, you're going to write a fear or a, a fear or a situation that's stressful or something that is just really weighing on you, something that you're worried bad things are going to happen. Um, I'll take the example of um, like like a, a, a business going bankrupt. Okay. It's a kind of extreme one, but it's easy. So uh, the fear I have is my, my business isn't going to be successful. Okay. There's the first, I write that in the first column. And then in the next column, I write things that I can do to mitigate my business not being successful, right? And in there, I'm writing, you know, hire talent and manage my cash flow since cash flow is the number one thing that sinks small businesses, bad cash flow management. And then in the third column, what I'm writing about is ways I'll recover if that bad thing does happen. And it is incredible when someone sits down, and I love when I get to watch this from the outside, because their body is their tense as they write in the first column. And then they loosen a little as they write about ways they can mitigate. And then they loosen a lot as they write like, oh, well, if the worst thing happens, here's how I would recover from that. And it's it's actually a version really of looking the monster in the eye the way that opening your mail is because now you're just looking at this fear you have and really looking it in the eye and then giving yourself tools and power against this thing that's kind of hanging out in the back all the time. I love that. I do something. Well, I say worst case and best case scenario. So when I have a situation, I look at that and I'm like, okay, what's the best case scenario? What, what, what's, in my control, what's tangible and what's yep. the worst case. When I know what the worst case is, if I'm okay with the worst case, it takes away the fear. It really yeah. does. It's it's like it's yeah. almost like I'm okay to do this now because yeah. I'm okay if it all fails, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. And there's something to really saying it out loud or writing it down. You know, it just makes it real tangible, but then also separates you emotionally from this thing because it's like, oh, well, there it is. And huh, it's actually not as bad as I had it when it was just hanging out over here as this, you know, monster in the closet. Yeah, I think the way I, I look at it is you're externalizing it. Because when we when we when we're keeping it inside, we're internalizing it. I think we can make a monster out of it. So you know mm-hmm. the whole fear piece, and oh my god, and you get into that loop that we were talking about, that mental loop that we are constantly yeah. repeating the story. Whereas when yeah. you put it on paper, you're externalizing it, and I think it gives you a different perspective and it shifts your paradigm. Because when you look at it, you're going, oh, okay, now it's not that bad. Yeah, totally, it. totally, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, what would be yeah. your third one? My so my third one actually, it's it's funny that we brought this up because the third one is called keep your word, and we were we were talking about boundaries. So, I talked about how I'm I'm a big journaler, and also I will go into beat up mode a lot. So, what I'll do at the end of the day, or even at the beginning of the day, if I wake up and I'm feeling kind of 
kind of off, kind of like having a hard time with motivation and just feeling kind of down and yucky, which, which happened where I live, we get a, we get a lot of cloudy days in the winter, a lot of, a lot of days and no sunlight. And it's helpful to sit down and say, okay, what are the ways that I kept my words to myself today? And I'll write those down. And what are the promises that I broke with myself today? And I'll write those down. And I even have to go so with myself, I even have to go so far as to say, what are the boundaries that I let be crossed by myself or others today? Because that's tied up in the promises thing. And then I look at those and then I go through and I write myself a little forgiveness note. Like, okay, I am proud of the things I have shown up for and I forgive myself for allowing And then I go through and I list off these things, these allowing myself to stay in bed, doom scrolling instead of going to the gym, right? Or pick, honestly, pick a thing for, um, for yelling at my kids or being emotionally vacant with my partner. There's it's, it can apply to so many realms and it doesn't have to be just like, what were your goals today and which goals didn't you hit? I think that's too sanitary. And it, again, is about thinking and not about feeling. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to ask it because you don't have to answer it. So through doing your journaling and putting that on paper, what are you, are you seeing that uh, at the start? Did it, did it bring to light that you were breaking your promises to yourself a lot more than what you do now, let's say? What was surprising, actually, so I've been doing this for a year now, and what was surprising was the sophisticated way I would try to maneuver myself out of just saying, yeah, I broke a promise to myself. There would be a lot of talk around like, well, this is why and that thing that happened. And there was a lot of chatter around it. And that was basically myself trying to preemptively protect me from feeling bad, feeling bad about myself or disappointed about myself. But The only thing there is that's a learned behavior. Children, they don't beat themselves up when they don't do something that they set out to do that day. That's something I was conditioned to do into adulthood, right? And so really relearning how to look at myself with with really more of a child with childlike eyes in the forgiveness of self and not let the chatter and the talk about the ways I was or wasn't or did or didn't that day run the show. Mm, I love that. As you were saying that, I was just thinking about a conversation I was uh, having with my partner at the time that um, I've got dogs and you don't see a dog bark and go, was I too loud? Was that okay? Like, (laughs) you know know what I mean? And it's so true because we are so conditioned to judge ourselves uh, whether we did good or did bad or, you know, and it is, it's that conditioning of, you know, from when we were little uh, and as we've evolved. But it's when you see like children as well, when you don't see children, when they scream, they don't go, was that too loud? Or it's, it's, it, they just release, let go. And then it's the parent they'll say, hey, calm down. You don't need to behave this way. Uh, and we do that with animals too. But it's, it's really interesting. That just popped into my mind as you were talking about, uh, how hard we can be on ourselves, you know, with yeah. whether we did keep that promise or not keep that promise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that saying, if you want something done, hand it to a busy woman. 
Well, the only thing is busy women. We are also somewhere in that conditioning. We are also taught that if we do something bad, it means we are bad. And they're not the same thing. And so it becomes this really vicious cycle of being the capable one. But capable people are rewarded with more to do, usually. And then when they can't do it all, they spiral out into this self-deprecating talk, right, about how they're not enough and how they're bad because they made a mistake. And then to pull themselves out of that talk, they need to find the worth, right? They need validation. And so they'll perform again. And it's just exhausting. And it's so bad for you. You're, you'll see it show up in physical, in skin and hair and nails and mm-hmm. sleep, but all yeah. the fake diet, you know? Yeah. That's why we have to learn forgiveness as often as possible. And, and especially, I think, you know, because especially when you become uh, more aware of, like I always talk about, we're walking, talking programs and patterns. Uh, and when we start making those changes, we have to, this, this is where the cha-cha came into it. We have to be kind to ourselves that mm-hmm. when we go about our day and we want to change specific things in our life, these things take time. You know, it, oh. it's, it's, it takes some time for the brain to adapt um, yep. and and go, oh, okay, so and to turn it into a habit. But in the process, if you're going to torment yourself, um, you're going to impact every aspect of your life, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but externalize what you are currently experiencing, which yeah. is not good. Yeah. And you'll hear me rail all the time about hustle culture narrative because there's this idea that if you do enough, make enough, earn enough, own enough, that you'll be enough. And this girl had the things. I had the multiple homes, the multi-million dollar home, the toys, the parties, the I had all the things, the awards, and it didn't matter. It still didn't matter. I still sat in that big glass palace up on the mountainside with its amazing views and was like, I'm so lonely. I feel so tired. I can't even enjoy this stuff because I was still stuck in that exact cycle. Yeah. What a great place to start though, right? That that <laughs> awareness, right? That's amazing. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people think that if I had a bigger car, if I had more money, if I, I'd be happy, but happiness comes from within, not external. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. Thank you for sharing that. So Jocelyn, where is the best place for our tribe to find you? I am the most actually interactive on my social media channels. So you'll find me on Instagram at Bossy Jossy. We're shocked. And at Facebook, Jocelyn Harward. Um, and then you can always go to my website, financiallyfearlesswomen.com and learn more, see events that are coming up, see podcasts that I've been on. Amazing. Jocelyn, I and we'll have all of those in the show notes too. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, sharing your story. It's been amazing. And I could relate to a lot of the stuff that you were saying, and I'm sure our tribe will too. So thank you so much for your time, your energy, and sharing your wealth of wisdom. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. This has been really, really great. Thank you.
Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste.